Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So how many days have we been um, sequestered now? How many days has it been? Eight, nine, ten? Ninety-seven. Ninety-seven days now. We Actually, we haven't been completely sequestered. Um, I ventured out to go to the office a couple of times. Um, Oh, I meant to tell you this. I'm I'm becoming more and more resourceful. Oh, Obviously, when I use the restroom at work, I don't want to touch anything. So I broke one of those, uh, you know, the rod on the uh, on the blinds on the window that will close and open. I yep. broke one of those off and I carry it around with me. It's like my flushing wand. Oh, that's great. It's good that you're touching everything with that. Yeah, I'm touching everything with that. And then I, <laughs> I put it in my uh, belt loop like it's a sword. Oh, well, that's just good fun. I was thinking maybe perhaps you could, uh, you could make me a holster. Ooh. Ooh, I would love to. We could patent that, like the the no touchy stick. I like it, the no touchy stick. So things have been getting weird around our house. You've heard us mention a couple of times that uh, Willie, our little pug, is getting up there. Yes, um, he suffers from a disease called degenerative myelopathy, uh, which basically means that his back end is not getting the 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 notes from his front end right. that it needs to be getting. And so he's um, he's losing control of the strength in his legs. He has a hard time walking on hardwood floors. Mm-hmm. He's fine on carpet. He gets around fine. But one of the things that, uh, that comes along with this is he's not really sure when it's time to go out. Yeah. Um, his butthole stopped working. Like, mm. uh, so just maybe two or three times a day, it's just that you hear a little... And it's just a little nug yeah. that makes its way out. It's like an M&M with peanuts rolling off a table. <laughs> just one little nugget, like that. And um, yeah. and usually he'll turn around and look at it like, oh, no, <laughs> yeah, he, what's happened? He's like apologizing for yeah. it, it seems. 
Fortunately, um, because we, we feed them really good dog food, it's usually very solid and yeah. it doesn't have a bad smell to it, but we were finding them all over the place. It's, it's, it's like a really evil bacteria-laden Easter egg hunt. <laughs> I mean, we're with him most of the time, so it's not like we're just coming across them. It's just that it's happening more and more often. Well, and here's one tucked in the sofa cushions. It's, that's never happened. Okay, that hasn't. Not yet. <laughs> Let's not the way I press look- the idea that our home is filled with feces. <laughs> it's not <laughs> any more than people already know that it is. Um, but the the bottom line is um, bottom is when it comes to Willie, he can poop wherever he wants and we're fine with it. Yeah, he yeah. has um, full reign. He can do whatever he'd like. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's in his 13th year. He has immunity. He can do whatever he wants. That's right. He's grandfathered in mm-hmm. as it should be. <laughs> as it should be. All right. I go first. Yay! This one's a rough one. Oh. Yeah. Here we go. Okay. Nothing like a cheerful story about murder. Oh. And not just any murder. In July of 1983, near Alsdorf in Germany, uh, an 18-year-old named Marion Garrick was at a bus stop. She was attacked. She was strangled. She was stripped. And she was thrown into a fishing pond nearby. My goodness. This began the killing spree of the Strangler of Aachen. His reign of terror lasted between 1983 and 1990. Wow. His next victim was taken in February of 1984, 15-year-old Andrea Warnke. She was uh, hanging out near a local nightclub, which, by the way, when you're 15, although it is Germany, so. I mean, I did it. Yeah. What are you going to do? That's true. My my first fist fight was when I was 16 at a nightclub. What are you going to do? Really? Yeah. What was that? Tell me that story. Oh, a girl threw an ashtray at my friend. So. Well, that was a long time ago. <laughs> Back when they had ashtrays. That's right. In nightclubs. Yeah. So I, I, I didn't. I didn't care for that. Did you grab her by a fistful of hair and slam her forehead into the edge of the bar, jettisoning the drinks into the air as <laughs> as you tumbled onto the floor? Because that's how I pictured it. No. Uh... It's not, it's, fights aren't something to glorify. It's just, it's something that happened. Let's move on. It's kind of hot though. Anyway. <laughs> Ask Stephanie about it. Okay, I will. <laughs> um, so, so this was again in February of 84 and she was hanging out around a nightclub and she was walking home and she was raped. Oh. She was strangled and her body was dumped in an open field. <sighs> on August 30. 30- First of 1984, 17-year-old Angelica Sale was seen getting into a man's car. Her body was later found in some nearby woods. She had also been strangled. This is a real bummer. Then in December 1985, 18-year-old Marion Leuven was abducted, raped, and killed in Aachen. Now, did the police know that they were all connected? Yes. They, okay. Yeah, she was actually... Um, Marion was was standing at a bus stop too, and this seemed to be kind of a uh, a uh, a common thread is that they were either walking home or waiting for uh, a bus. Marion's body was found under a pile of leaves. In June of 1990, Sabine Newman disappeared on her way home from a nightclub. Uh, She was 31 years old. She was raped, and she was strangled. Then the stranglings ceased. Over a decade and a half would pass, and the trail had gone cold. Mm. They were still, you know, they were still actively investigating, but they did not have any new leads. No one knew who was responsible for all of these horrible deaths. 
but thankfully the killings did stop. Then in March of 2007, police in Heinsberg, Germany, uh, got a call. There was a, a disturbance at a local business, and they responded quickly. There had been an attempted break-in to this uh, business. It was like a junkyard, I guess. When they arrived, they caught a guy. His name was Leo. Leo Johnson? No. <laughs> Sorry. His name was Leo Agidius Schiffer, and he was in the process of stealing scrap metal. So they arrested him. They take him down to the station. They're going through the routine questioning procedure. They asked him to submit a saliva sample, which I guess they had started doing pretty much with everybody as they collected uh, DNA. Hey, excellent. I think that's a great idea. Into it. And he was very cooperative. He he voluntarily provided um, his uh, saliva. Uh, after the DNA results were in, the authorities were amazed to find that the results exposed Leo Egidius Schiffer as the perpetrator of these five murders. Oh, my goodness. From a decade and a half prior. Now, I mean, are you going to tell me why he stopped randomly? Or it, do you have information on that? Because it had been, you said, 10 years. It had yeah? been 17. 17 years. That, that, yeah. No, I, I, I really don't know. I was There was what? no information in, in the articles that I found about this. That's crazy As to, to why he stopped. Maybe he didn't stop and they, he just got better at hiding the bodies. But those five were what were attributed to the uh, strangler of Aachen, who was Leo. Wow. So they, they pressed him on it and he confessed to all five murders. He was arrested on August 23rd of uh, 2007 for the murders that took place uh, over 17 years prior. Wow. Now here is, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I, I'm just saying that's unreal. That it just so happened that he was stealing scrap metal, yeah. which is such a, you know, like, meh, crime. <laughs> and and was all like, yeah, I'll give you my saliva. Did he not know that there was DNA? Did he not? It, it may have been the case, or it may have been he thought that so much time had passed that uh, they, they wouldn't have anything to match him to oh, it. I suppose. Or that uh, if they did have samples, that maybe they had been degraded, or that he just was he was feeling emboldened because it had been 17 years and he had not been caught. Wow. But here's what they found out. The first murder was committed July 1983 near Alsdorf. The 18-year-old Marion Garrick was at a bus stop when she was attacked by Schiffer. When he attacked her, she fought him with all of her strength and even kicked part of his windshield out. Oh, wow. Although she was able to prevent rape, she was strangled, stripped, and thrown into that fishing pond. Oh. Then in February of 84, Schiffer attacked the 15-year-old Andrea Wernke uh, near the nightclub. In Heinsberg, as she was walking home, he grabbed her, raped the schoolgirl, uh, then he strangled her and dumped her body in an open field. On October 31st, 1984... You've already said these things. It's terrible. Well, Let's is, not rehash it. This is part of his confession. Okay, fine. I just want to hear about more fighting and kicking and trampling his windshield. <laughs> well, it doesn't really... No. Okay, I can skip over this part if you like. It's uh, just very... It's yeah. rough. Okay. For sure. All right. So anyway, he confessed to it all. Okay. And then he... Uh, I'm sorry. I. It's just, that's, you know. No, I, I, I get that. I was just kind of going through the police record here. Okay. But I understand. I don't, I don't want to upset you. <laughs> 
bunch of people got killed. Let's just yeah. put it that well, way. Well, the rape and murder of five women's going to upset me, regardless sure. of how you gloss sure. it over. So I guess, yeah, yeah go about your business, okay. sir. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> so as I mentioned, he, he confessed. Um, but then later... He recanted his confessions. Oh, did he say he was like confessing under duress or something? Pretty, pretty close. He said this was his defense. He recanted his confessions before the district court on the grounds that he had sadomasochistic tendencies and that he just admitted to it. He admitted to the murders because the thought of pretrial detention and punishment had aroused him. Okay, well, then a lifetime in prison should also arouse you. Fuck off and die. No? No? No, he must have done it. I'm confused. No, he did it. He did it because all the DNA lined up. He confessed, but then he tried to get out of it by saying, no, I have sadomasochistic tendencies and it just the idea of going to jail gave me a hard on. Now, you know, that's it. That's all. I I just can I can I go home now, please? Is that why your DNA matches is because Mm. you're a horn dog for pain? Mm. I don't know. I don't know. Well, the court relied on the repeated confessions of Schiffer. And um, which had, you know, he had disclosed what they what they term perpetrators knowledge. Only he right. would know yeah, these things. The, the things they keep quiet in the, in the DNA traces that were present at uh, at the crime scene. That's good enough for me, sir. He was sentenced on August 19th, 2008, 18 years after the very last murder by the Aachen Regional uh, by the Aachen Regional Court for murder in the five cases and rape in two. He got life imprisonment. The court also noted the particular severity of of the guilt. A revision was rejected by the Federal Court of Justice in 2009. He was sent to prison for life. Awesome. And there he sat. In fact, they kept him in solitary confinement for eight years. They were serious about this. Wow. Eight years he spent in solitary confinement. That's nuts. I mean, wow. I've never heard of anything like that. Eight years? Well, either way, the first part of your story was terrible, Mm. but I liked the second half. Well, it gets even more interesting. Oh, okay. Then one morning in July. Oh, I like it. This starts with a jaunty tone, and I like it. Then one morning in July of 2018, (laughs) the guards at Bauckham Prison came to bring Leo his breakfast. So they peered inside his cell, and they found him lying unconscious on the floor. (gasps) So they, they go in. Once they got to him, once they got inside the cell, they unlocked and they went in. They found that he was, in fact dead oh did he just i mean he wouldn't have just kicked it natural cause style because of the way you're telling this okay go ahead what did he do what did he do that was stupid he did something stupid didn't he yes okay i'm excited about this he did okay you see leo agidius schiffer was indeed a sadomasochist and apparently he was having a hard time finding ways in solitary confinement to satisfy his urges Okay. So here's what happened. Prison spokesperson Candida Tunkel said, He removed a cable from his bedside table lamp. He then stripped the cable down and he wound the copper around his penis (gasps) and then stuck them through his nipples and then stuck the plug in the power socket. When the guards reached him, he was obviously dead, but still plugged in like like some sort of sex-starved homicidal toaster oven. Electricity was still surging through his body. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Now, I mean, was this not a suicide attempt? It was not a suicide attempt. 
The postmortem established that Schiffer, 62, died of heart failure as a result of an electrical current flowing through his chest. Cops said they did not suspect foul play, and his lawyer claimed that the murderer was not suicidal. Uh, he was just looking for some, some kicks. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Some wattage style kicks. Yeah, just plugging his junk into the outlet. You know, I see, I follow a couple of um, interesting. Uh, accounts on Instagram. One of them is like an autopsy pathology Mm -hmm. Instagram. Mm -hmm. And there are a huge number of people who died during attempts of uh, autoerotic asphyxiation. Sure. Yeah. And and the like. Quite a bit. Yeah. And this would fall into that category, not the asphyxiation part. Right. Of course. Yeah. But um, that that effort to get off via pain, um, you know, that is super dangerous. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I it's. You know, of course, something that you're free to pursue in, in whatever way you choose. Uh, no kink shaming here. However, be careful. Be so careful. Think about how you're going to look if people find you. <laughs> well, also, like if you're in a jail cell, there is limited privacy. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, someone could have been a tootling by. Yeah. And. Uh, right. Uh, yeah. Know. And he's oh. he's got a electrical. Right cable attached to his ween. And that's no longer just your kink, but in fact, impeding on their ability to not have to see that shit. <laughs> that, um, is, that is an excellent point. Thank you. The one I didn't really think about, but um, wow, but there you go. The other day, I, I came across a post of a guy who uh, was pleasuring himself by cutting off his oxygen intake, um, he would lean into his washing machine and like put his head into it and the the pressure on his chest while he took part in lower body activities right. uh, made it hard for him to breathe and it was a you know it was a thing. Yep. But he fell in and got stuck. Oh my God. And died. Wow. Inside his own washing machine. Oh my God. While well, yeah. yeah. And well during the rinse cycle, so to speak. <laughs> he was spinning it out. It's, well, yeah. it all comes out in the wash. That's what they say. The, they say that. But, I mean, I saw pictures of it, and it looked like it must have been the most terrifying and horrifying death that you can possibly imagine. Because you that's just... Yeah. I mean, it's the worst thing I can think of. Well, it must be incredibly... <laughs> I mean, incredibly, it's not the worst thing, but it's close. It must be incredibly claustrophobic. And then the fact, you know, you've got no pants on. All of those things right. add up to a really bad morning. All of your vulnerability. It's just, yeah. it's terrible. Yeah. So anyway, I guess my point is be safe. Yeah. Um, and if you can, practice these things with someone else. They don't necessarily have to be a part of the act, but maybe be nearby, know that it's happening. Yeah. You know, be safe is all I'm saying. They should have an app for that. Oh, that's an interesting mm. thought. Yeah. Well, what, what, what would we call it? Well, I use Be My Eyes, um, which is, you know, for... <laughs> but, but that's that's a whole different thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But something like that. Yeah. Where it's like, I'm partaking in this if yeah. I don't check in in 20 minutes. Right. Yeah. But yeah. even then, I mean, that's an awful long time. Help, for... I'm stuck in a washing machine. But still, how do you access your app? It's yeah, got to be true. some sort of timed thing. But hey, how Siri. You... <laughs> yeah. No, valid. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. I guess yeah. it could be something. I All don't right. Know. We'll just keep that in mind the next yeah. time you're... That's all we're saying. I don't know. Yeah. Put a lemon in or something. Yeah, whatever you do. <clears throat> that's my rant 
about uh, safety during autoerotic adventures. Sorry. And now, that thing in the middle. Got a message from Stephen, one of the freaks who said, okay, I have no idea what the use of this is, but I wrote a monologue of Jason Voorhees on a blind date. So now... That thing in the middle is Stephen's Jason Voorhees date monologue. Oh, my job. Serial killing. Oh, no, I don't let that scare you. I'm, uh, I'm into other stuff, normal stuff. You know, like hockey, obviously. And uh, as you can see, I'm pretty outdoorsy. I mean, why else would I have this machete? <laughs> and you? What do you do? Oh, accounting. Yeah, I, I, I once got into this numbers game with my friend. Well, well, we're not really friends. We're more like frenemies, but, um, well, never mind. That's not interesting. Do you like what you do? Well, I couldn't imagine being stuck at a desk all day and not folding people in half like an accordion. I mean, I I couldn't imagine being stuck at the desk all day. Well, what, I'm, what am I looking for in, in a woman? Well, I like someone who's active, you know, a good runner and tough. Someone who uh, who doesn't let life keep them down. They fall, they get up, that, that kind of thing. Really, I guess... I'm just like anyone else in this crazy world looking for that special body, uh, uh, somebody. Work on the brain, you know? Hey, where are you going? Do you, do you, want, me to, do you want me to follow you? I'm going to follow you. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. 
Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings, while kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Because we live on your phone, tablet, and computer, we couldn't help but see your emails this morning. And we would so end that relationship with Heather. But hey, it's your life. This is The Box of Oddities. Hey, Kat and Jethro, thought I'd uh, shoot you an email about the Yorkshire Ripper. Because I know you guys would be interested. Back in the early 70s to mid-80s, the UK had a serial killer dubbed the Yorkshire Ripper. He was His name was Peter Sutcliffe. He killed 13 people in the Leeds-Bradford area. Right. There was a massive manhunt. The West Yorkshire police put together a team to track him down. They called them the Ripper Squad. Okay, that's a badass name. It is a badass name. It's much better than the man sprayer. <laughs> what? Okay. Is that a Brooklyn Nine-Nine reference? Okay, so he goes on to say, my grandfather, Guy Grant, was a well-to-do person back in the 70s. He owned a few scrap yards in Leeds, in the Leeds area. He traveled quite a bit. Also, he got arrested in 1978 by the Ripper Squad because <gasps> they thought he was the Yorkshire Ripper. See, the way his grandmother told it was that uh, his grandfather had been in the same area as three of the murders when they happened and he got it was noticed by the police so one day they kicked his door in and they arrested him but while he was in custody they found another body that uh, they couldn't pin on on his granddad sure so they determined he wasn't linked to any of them and uh, he was released is a great alibi (laughs) it really is (laughs) 
He says, we have the uh, arrest report somewhere. I'll, I'll send it to you if I can find it. He was interviewed by Detective Frank Morritt, who was a key person in the investigation. Uh, love, love, love the show. You guys are literally the best. Ross Birmingham, UK. Thanks, Ross. That is so cool. Thank you so much. Glad your grandfather wasn't a homicidal maniac. Me too. I love it. Please send us more stories like that. What you got for me? What what you what what you what you got for me? What 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 what, what you got for me? I had, I don't know why, I've had more time this week to work on things, but for some reason, I had a harder time choosing a topic. And I find that sometimes that happens. Mm -hmm. Like if I have more like flibbity-jibbity time, (laughs) I become more selective or more... Less nimbly-bimbly. Yes, exactly. Um, So I had a real hard time. And I so I went back to some of the wonderful messages and emails and posts that we've received from our incredible freak fam and uh, found this suggestion. Thank you so much to Ryan, uh, because I am jazzed to talk about this. In 1909, New York businessman G. Herman Gottlieb was looking to make some extra dollars. Now, he had a little bit of knowledge of botany and a great desire to make a quick buck. So he left his home on East 99th Street with two empty baskets and made his way to a wooded area on Dykeman Street in the Inwood section of Manhattan. All right. (laughs) So he's out and about and he's collecting two baskets of catnip. He's got these huge baskets, and he's uh, pulling away at these plants, uh, which, you know, if you're familiar with catnip even a little bit, you know that it makes cats go nuts uh, because of a chemical, and I did not know this. The chemical is called something that uh, sounds scientific, and it causes like a euphoria in cats, and they get all like... You know, they want to get in on it. Yeah. They want to roll around in it and get all kicky. They get blasted. They do. Pretty much. Remember, we had a bag of it when we had uh, a couple of cats, and it was in a baggie, and I kept it up on the uh, on the grandfather clock. And um, one of our cats, Albert, Albert Big, Big Head, Head Big, Big Show, Show, Mr. Mr. Biscuits, Biscuits Tom, Tom, he uh, actually climbed up and got on top of the clock. I don't know how he did it. He was a masterful I was going to say architect, but I meant gymnast. (laughs) (laughs) And he's sitting up there and he's got this baggie full of catnip in his mouth. And uh, we had a guest over and uh, and she said, hey, your cat's got your weed. (laughs) And I said, yeah, he's a real real head. (laughs) Anyway, go ahead. Anyway, so. Herman, his name was G. Herman, but we're going to call him Herman from now on. Herman decided he was going to take the subway to Lenox Avenue and 110th Street and go house to house selling this catnip. So he was going to go uh, to the well-to-do family homes, and hopefully those who had spoiled cats would Mm. be into the idea of buying fresh catnip from him. It actually sounds like a really 
modern premise, doesn't it? it like it certainly does. Like super two thousands. <laughs> it's like yeah. this is organic. I got it in the park. Yeah, very very hipster. <laughs> so catnip, uh, also known as cat mint, uh, it's because of the attraction that cats have to this herb. But it's actually only about two-thirds of cats are affected by catnip. I did not know that. There's a certain percentage of cats that have no interest at all in catnip. They're like, meh, whatever. I don't care for your weird tea. Thanks. Killjoys. In addition to uses with cats, catnip is popular in uh, some herbal teas or tinctures, and it's valued for its sedative properties, and it's like a relaxant. For cats? No, just for people. For people? Yeah. Wow, I didn't know that either. Yeah. So G, at this point, has two giant baskets of catnip and is making his way across the city. And there were some feral cats in the area who were into this idea. (laughs) And as Gottlieb made his way around the neighborhood, a handful of stray cats had noticed that he was there and maybe a few stray leaves of catnip mm-hmm. fell out of his baskets. Yep. Maybe the scent wafted just so. Um, so they began like writhing and rolling around on the ground. Uh, soon more cats joined in and try as he might, Mr. Gottlieb could not shoo these cats away because he had the thing, you know, that gets cats interested. Sure. Yeah. Did they eat him? No, uh, but they were jumping up at his baskets, rubbing themselves <laughs> against him, mewing and purring. Uh, according to an August 19th, 1909 article in the St. Louis Di- Post-Dispatch, they were saying very complimentary things about him. <laughs> and he was a little overwhelmed. My God. Now, these were feral cats, too. So he was lucky. I adopted a feral cat. A long time ago, mm-hmm. and I didn't know it was feral. It was just a little kitten, yeah. You know, and it was at uh, a shelter, but it was feral. It had uh, no social skills whatsoever. Yeah. Sure. I remember I, I was sitting at my coffee table, and I just ordered um, delivery pizza, and there was a pizza sitting on the coffee table, and I swear to God, this cat, little kitten, came charging, just running into the room, yowling, leaped into the air, grabbed a slice of pizza with its teeth, yanked it off the shelf, (laughs) off the table, and ran with it to the other side of the room. Yeah. And ate it, and then growled and hissed at me. Of course. She knew you were going to try to get that slice back. She weren't having it. She weren't having it. Remember that time time your mom was living in our basement? I was just going to say, and... I was like, do not bring cats into this house. And she was like, okay, how about instead I bring a litter of cats into this fucking house? <laughs> and they were feral. <laughs> they were feral cats that, um, yes, we we have on several occasions trapped feral cats, had them neutered or spayed or altered in whatever way they needed to be, and then choop right out back into the woods you go because mm-hmm. that's how we roll. Right. After notching their ears, of course, so you know not to trap them again. Now, instead, my mom decided she would trap this cat and its litter and bring them inside. And After I we asked like, her not to. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you need to find a place for these cats to be. And she was like, right, I understand that. But what I'm going to do is not that thing. And then they got loose in our ceiling. <laughs> 
there was a litter of feral kittens in our ceiling. This, you guys, that I was can't fun. Even, I mean, yeah. So we had still to, that wasn't as obnoxious as the "don't do our laundry" thing, but you know, whatever. I can't, I can't get into all those. That's a whole different story. Various topics now. 1909. It's a far more romantic period. So the animals wouldn't budge. This is how it was described according to the Washington Times. All of them, rich and poor, aristocrats from the sofa cushions near the front windows, and thin plebeians from the airways <laughs> struggled mightily to get into the two baskets of catnip. Oh. Yeah. The New York Herald reported shame-faced felines whose permanent addresses were alleys and backyards came stealthily forth, all of them rich and poor, plying for his catnip. That was truly a more romantic and poetic day. Indeed. So soon Gottlieb found himself just overwhelmed by somewhere between... And it's estimated uh, by newspapers, 30 and 40 cats, <laughs> each of them clamoring for his herby goods. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Naturally, when Gottlieb, walking along the street, sees police sergeant John F. Higgins on 114th Street, he cries out with joy. At last, his savior, he thought someone <laughs> can help him dispense of these felines. Sergeant Higgins, though... Not so keen and immediately arrested. Oh, no. Gottlieb. No. Was he charged with being a cat burglar? The catnip peddler was arrested oh. for causing a crowd to collect, which was against the law. Huh. Trailed by several cats, Higgins and Gottlieb made their way to the police station on East 104th Street. Why don't you arrest the catnip? Gottlieb asked. <laughs> That is collecting the crowd, not I. Not I. Not I. But you collected the catnip. Mm, this is a valid point. It's like flipping witnesses to get to the top. So they arrived to the police station and authorities couldn't decide whether or not the salesman had actually broken any laws. Lieutenant Lasky, the officer who received the arrest report, said... The law says a man must not cause a crowd of people to collect. The law doesn't say anything about cats. <laughs> so Higgins, the, the arresting officer, was like, the law doesn't say anything about people. It says a crowd. A crowd of cats is certainly a crowd. So at this point, there's a station cat. Oh, no. And the station cat, whose name is Pete. <laughs> this is in the Times, you guys. So Pete began fighting with one of the invading felines <laughs> and with the help of some policemen eventually drove the catnip-hungry kittens out of the building. At this time, uh, Gottlieb is still holding his baskets of catnip and he it was decided that he had not broken any laws. He had probably already been through some stuff. And I, I'm, so, I'm picturing him like disheveled with his clothes all shredded mm, by cats. Yeah, I picture like Daniel Stern. From Home Alone? Yes. You know, he's wearing a, <laughs> yeah. a suit jacket, but it's all torn up at the bottom, <laughs> yep. maybe like a brown plaid, mm -hmm. you know. That anyway. Works. 
So the police escort him home in a patrol wagon uh, with his baskets of catnip. And uh, the next day, a story entitled The Cat Caper of the 39th Precinct ran in the New York Herald. Uh, That was then picked up by several newspapers. And this was a big story across New York. Wow. And that's really all I have. (laughs) That's enough. That's plenty right there. Wow. Yeah, that's great. We need to start mining that vein for for stories. Just bizarre, quirky, weird, crazy little things that happened in the newspaper. 125 years ago. That's why, like, I knew this was a relatively short story, and it's not of, like, cultural significance. It, it don't matter. It doesn't change anyone's life. But I was like, this is the weirdest story. <laughs> and I, I love, love it. that it was picked up across the nation, and they were <laughs> yeah. like, this guy, uh, yeah. a lot of cats showed up at the police station. It's amazing. Yeah. And I wonder if he had any idea in 1909 that a hundred and 11 years later. Oh, 111. Interesting. Hmm. We'd be talking about it on the Box of Oddities. Yeah, I don't think Probably he had no concept of... Of any of what we're doing. Anything, no. Yeah, and would certainly be very confused as to why anyone would listen. Witchcraft! (laughs) Hey, guys, stay safe. We love you. Um, We obviously aren't doing any live shows right now. When things calm down a little bit, we'll start booking more shows. We'll let you know where we're going to be. Maybe you let us know where we're going to be. Yeah. You know, reach out to your favorite venue. Say, hey, when you start booking people again, maybe this is an idea for you. And for that, we would be forever grateful. But not as grateful as we are that you hang out with us a couple of times a week. It's pretty amazing. And until the next time, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2020, all rights reserved. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world. Plus, tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books. As I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. 
on Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.